You are listening to the Restoration LA podcast. For more, visit us at restorationla.org. Thanks, Jody. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all. Um, let me just, I am not Jody, so let me, there you go. That's perfect. Done. Now I can see. No, it's perfect. Absolutely perfect. Just uh, do sense the weight of what God is doing um, this morning. And that worship time was just so, so tender. And um, I do sense God wants to, God is grabbing hold of our hearts for something very specific this morning. And I trust that the word that the Lord has put on my heart is going to not cut across, but just continue with what the Lord has already started this morning. Um, I wanna ask you all just to, to give some thought to, to what God has already started saying. The preaching of the word doesn't happen uh, when the preacher stands up and asks you to turn to a passage of scripture. And worship doesn't end when the worship leader says amen and we transition over to the announcements. Preaching happens as we worship the Lord in song and worship happens as we sit under his word and allow him to mold and shape our hearts. And so I want to, I want to encourage us all this morning to, to allow the Lord to, to continue to encourage us to offer up a sacrifice of worship as we sit under the word. That as we surrender our hearts to the things that he wants to say, that that would be an act of worship. And as we respond, and as we go from this place and put into practice the things that we've been challenged by, whether it's through the preaching or the prophetic contributions or the songs that we've sung, that that is an act of worship and that is sacrifice and that is preaching. You know, God doesn't, we love boxes. One thing I've learned about America in 17 years that we've been here, and I count myself as an American, we love boxes. We love putting, you know, neatly defined definitions around things. And I feel like God wants to to break that as, as, we, as, as uh, Zeke brought that heart of revival and, and that came through this morning. Friends, if, 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 if we wanna see revival, if, if we wanna allow God to, to revive our cities and our nation and the nations of the world, it, it rightly so has to start with us. God breaking down the boxes that we've placed about, the, about who he is and the way he moves and the way things need to look. God wants to redefine that. And I sense this morning, the, the word, I, 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 I want to say this cautiously, but I, I've really been wrestling about whether this word was the right word to bring this morning. And I felt very unsettled as I was giving thought and prayer to this weekend. And, and this morning felt quite, quite unsettled about whether this was the right word. And the, the opening song, I just felt the Lord just settle that in my heart. I was buried beneath my shame. Who could carry that kind of weight? I was breathing but not alive and all my failures I tried to hide. And I think I sense that, that some of us here this morning, you know, we, we all cry for revival, but I think some of us here this morning are, are carrying the, the burden of guilt and, and shame and regret from things from our past. We, we've allowed our past to infect our present and our future. And I sense this morning that what God wants to do is, 
is, is a deep work in our hearts, like a, like a surgeon, a skilled surgeon with a scalpel coming in to, to remove the guilt and the shame from, from our past. Some of us sitting here, because of mistakes that we've made, because of things that we've chosen in our past, we, we sense maybe we've believed the lie that God has had to sideline us. And I want to say, friends, that's not the case. That's not the case. Some of us here today are, are, are thinking that, yeah, God has, God has forgiven me now, but, but you're afraid of your own weakness. And perhaps you think that, that while right now you're drinking from the well of God's grace and God's love and God's mercy, that because, of your, because you know your own weakness, you fear that that well of grace and mercy is gonna one day dry up. And I hope that, that, that the words that have come through the worship and the songs that we've sung and the, the word that hopefully kind of contributes to that, you will know, you will experience the reality that that is not the case. I wanna tell you, friends, it is, it, it is, there is a way that, that, that we can come out of the brokenness and the hurt that we so, e- that we so, are, we so eager to hide and, and kind of clothe with, with things, disguise it as coping. Friends, coping is not what God has for us. God wants to set us free from things from our past. God wants to remove the shame and the guilt that we carry. He wants to catapult us into the destiny he has for us. And I trust by the goodness of God that we can step into that this morning. I want to teach on repentance. I want to teach on the beautiful gift that is repentance and how we can grow deeper in our relationship with Jesus through this gift of repentance. I've, I've taught on repentance before back at our church. I've spoken to folks about repentance and, and so often it's, it's met with mixed emotions. Perhaps even as I've said that I'm preaching on repentance, some of you may even have already taken a step back in your hearts. And I hope today that we would begin to see what this beautiful gift is. This is an invitation for us to grow deeper in our relationship with Jesus. This is not the Father coming with a stick to condemn us today. This is, I believe, one of the most significant ways that we can step into the revival of our churches and the revival of our city. Through living in this and with this and and experiencing the reality of this beautiful gift. Folks back in Chicago have often said to me, repentance is so old-fashioned. It's so religious. I don't need it. Or they've said things like, you know, uh, it's great that we talk about repentance. It's important for other people. Or tragically, they've said things like, people have used repentance to try and control me and manipulate me. I I don't want to step into that. Or maybe you're thinking, I've tried repentance. And yet I still carry this this brokenness and this this hurt. And I hope today that we get to just understand that, as I said, God wants to set us free from the past. The past that infects and and it infects our present and our future. And it dilutes the things that God wants to do. We're going to do that by looking at Psalm 51. So I want to invite you, if you can, just to turn in your Bibles. 
or in your smartphones to Psalm 51, this beautiful psalm written by King David, a time when he had committed a terrible sin, but he got a revelation of God's invitation, God's uh, gift of repentance. And we're going to start with the, uh, with the introduction, the little bit of uh, into the, the kind of preamble before the psalm. Just above, and it says, For the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgression. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressions your ways so that sinners will turn back to you Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings, offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. I intentionally included that little preamble, that introduction to the, before the first verse, because it sets the scene of, of what David is about to write, and it helps us understand the, the context of this particular psalm. And it, it starts off for the director of music, for the choir master, for the worship leader. And, and we need to just pause there for a moment because this is really important for us to understand that the, the nation of Israel are, are singing a worship song to God, glorifying him because of the most terrible sin that their king committed. Now let's make this a little bit more, kind of bring, bring this to, to home. Imagine Jody writing a worship song about some of his most terrible sins that he committed in the last year, and then we sing it on a Sunday morning. Or let's make it even more personal. Imagine you coming to Jody and confessing your sin, and then he writes a worship song about that sin in glory to God. That's essentially what is happening here, but the point that we need to understand is, is this, is that our most 
terrible sins, when forgiven, give us reason to glorify God for his amazing grace. He goes on to say, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. And in case you don't know the backstory, I'm going to take just a couple minutes to make sure we're all on the same page. 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12 tell the backstory of, of Psalm 51. David had 30 or 40 close friends. They were called David's mighty men. And one of them was a, a guy by the name of Uriah. And all of his 30 to 40 faithful friends are off with the army fighting a battle. But David decide, decides to stay back home. And he sees Bathsheba and, and begins to lust for her and eventually rapes her. And she falls pregnant. She gets pregnant. And to cover this all up, David hatches this elaborate plan to have Uriah killed on the battlefield. And he thinks he's gotten away with it. And 2 Samuel chapter 12 starts with these words. Verse 1, the Lord sent Nathan to David. And th those words are, are that, that, those six words are, are so packed with, with meaning. The Lord sent Nathan to David. Who was Nathan to David? Was he a prophet to come and condemn the king and reveal him of his, of, and expose him of his sin? That's what we like to think. But he wasn't. He was a friend sent by the Lord to reveal God's heart of compassion, to, to woo him back, to woo him through repentance and restore him back into relationship with God. And, and friends, maybe the first point I, I need to trust that we understand is the place for a broken heart and a contrite spirit, the place for repentance and restoration to the Lord is not judgment but it's friendship, it's relationship. It's having men and women in our lives who, who are able to, to speak to the blind spots that we all have and not condemn us, but to woo us and to help us come back into a relationship with the Lord through repentance and to enjoy restoration. Do you have a Nathan in your life? Do you have someone in your life that you've invited to bring perspective? And, and, and do you create space for that friend to speak freely into your life? We need Nathans in our life. And so Nathan begins to tell David this, this story. David's a shepherd, and he tells the story of, of a poor man who owns one lamb. And there's a rich man who has a guest coming over. And the, the, the rich man, instead of sacrificing one of his own sheep, decides to take the one lamb from that poor man and sacrifice that in order to feed his guests. And, and David is enraged and he says, that man should die. And everything is set up for Nathan to, to bring judgment upon David. You're, you're, you're that man. You're a liar. You're a, you're a hypocrite. You need to be condemned. But that's not God's heart. God's heart is not to condemn but it's to convict. God's heart is to, is to bring David back through, a tend, through tenderness and restore him back into relationship. So what Nathan says to David is, you, David, are that man. 
you, David, are that man. So what is repentance? And how do we access the transformative power that comes from repentance? Repentance is a, is a massive theological subject. That, and we don't have time to go into to all the details. But I want to just offer a, a working definition uh, so that we can at least be on the same page. And, and this is what I would, would, would put to you is a, is a definition of repentance. Repentance is a change of heart. And I, I will repeat it again. Repentance is a change of heart that leads to a change of mind that results in a change of direction that is powered by God's love and by God's grace. Repentance is a, is a change of heart that leads to a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. We, we have to turn away from the way we were living. It happens by our hearts being changed because we, are, we, we understand that it's against God that we've sinned, it changes our thinking, so it changes our direction. And all of that is not empowered by our own strength. It's empowered by the love and the grace of God. So what we're going to do, real simply, is we're going to just ask four questions of the text that is before us. Four questions to understand how do we live with this beautiful gift of repentance that God has given us. Firstly, to whom or to what do we appeal? Who do we go to when we've repented? And verse one, I think, makes it rather obvious. We, we appeal to God for forgiveness, or perhaps more accurately, we appeal to God's character. Look at verse one with me. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. I think it's very easy sometimes to mistake self-pity for repentance. Self-pity is being upset about and regretting the consequences of your sin. But, but, but repentance goes so much further. Repentance is a response of love that, leaves to a, that leads to a deep-hearted turning away from the, from the things that we were doing. And, and, and it's because we and look at verse 4. We realize that it's against God that we have sinned. Verse 4 says, against you, against you only, Lord, have us sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Do you notice in, in verse 4, uh, David says, against you, against you only have I sinned. He repeats the, the subject. And in, we, in ancient Hebrew writing, if the, if the subject is repeated, it, it expresses Compassion expresses heart, uh, expresses uh, a love and devotion for that person. Do you remember what Jesus said on the cross when he died? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? David could have easily said, against you have I sinned. That's factual. But he cries out against you, against you only have I sinned. His heart is broken because he recognizes that it's against God that he is, has sinned. We won't ever deal with sin if we stop at just being sad or regretting the consequences of our sin. Repentance starts where self-pity ends. To whom do we appeal? We appeal to God. Secondly, what do we confess? Again, I think the answer is obvious. We confess our sins. Which David takes full responsibility for, for what he's done. Look at verse 1 
2, 3, and 4. He says, blot out my transgressions. Wash away my iniquity. Iniquity means to, to knowingly stray from the path God has given us. Cleanse me from my sins, for I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Verse 4, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. This is, this is not blame shifting. I don't know about you, but, but blame shifting is something that I think I've perfected at times. So quick to, to pass the buck, so quick to, to blame others. Sometimes when we sin, if you're anything like me, sometimes we can kind of write it off as a, as, as a mistake. Oh, I, I didn't mean to do that. Or maybe a, a momentary lapse of judgment. Or, or maybe we compare ourselves to others to make ourselves feel a little better. Oh, you know what? It's not as bad as what that person did. Or maybe we make excuses. You know, if you knew the upbringing I had or the challenges that I faced, you would understand what I did. But that's not what David does. He's not shifting the blame. Repentance means saying that somewhere in the mix of all that has happened, a choice was made. And that choice was made by me or by you. And it doesn't need to be excused. And it doesn't need to be uh, uh, understood even. It needs to be repented of and forgiven. And that's where freedom comes. Repentance starts where self-pity ends. But repentance also starts where blame shifting ends. We need both. We need to, we need to set aside blame shifting, and we need to set aside self-pity. There's, there's nothing, friends, can I, can I just say this? There's nothing for us to be afraid of, to repent of our sins and receive the Father's forgiveness. Because even though we, we may be offering up to the Lord the, the, the understanding of the greatness of our sin, it offers the Lord an opportunity to reveal the greater greatness of his grace and mercy. Listen to Psalm 32. Listen to Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against him. The Lord says we are blessed. We are blessed when we confess our sins and receive his forgiveness. Psalm 103, further than the east is from the west, that's how far he has removed our transgressions from us. Now, the way I think, I'm, I'm a, I've got a science background, so this is kind of how I think. It's, I, I'm, I find it remarkable that the Lord does not, by the Holy Spirit, that the psalmist does not write, as far as the north is from the south. But he says, as far as the east is from the west, the north has a north pole. The south has a south pole. There is a, there is a measurable dif- distance between north and south. He doesn't say the Lord has removed your transgressions a long way away, but it's still measurable. He says as far as the east is from the west, there is an infinite distance between east and west. And that's how far the Lord has removed your transgressions from you. And then Jeremiah 31. I will forgive their wickedness, And remember their sins no more. The creator of the heavens and the earth. 
the creator of all that we see around us, the one who spoke creation into being, is forgetful about one thing. He's forgetful about your sin that has been repented of in, 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 in Jesus' name. Just think about that for a moment. It's absolutely remarkable. God wants us to, to live in and uh, live in constantly and enjoy constantly the, the, the opportunity for us to repent and receive his forgiveness. Some people might say, well, you know, I get, when I gave my heart to the Lord, I repented of my sin and Jesus forgave me of my sin, past, present, and future. And yes, that is true. But friends, forgive, forgiveness is not something that God is holding on to like a child holding on to the last Oreo cookie. And we have to beg him, Lord, would you please give me that cookie? No, God doesn't want us to repent because it does something for him. God wants us to repent because it helps us step into the liberation of, of guilt and shame, from guilt and shame. And it releases something of, of an understanding of his grace and mercy and forgiveness. It's for us that God wants us to come before him and to repent. To whom do we appeal? God in his mercy. What do we confess? Our sins. Thirdly, what do we ask for? And again, this is pretty basic. It's there in, in, in verses 7, 8, and 9. We, we ask for forgiveness. That's what we ask for. Listen to a few verses from Psalm 32. Psalm 32 is a, is a psalm that David writes where he worships God because God has forgiven him of his sins. And, and verses 3 and 4 in Psalm 32 describe what it felt like for David when he held on to his sin. Listen to, to these verses. Before I confessed my sin, this might sound familiar. Before I confessed my sin, I kept it all inside. My dishonesty devastated my inner life, causing my life to be filled with frustration, impressionable ang anguish, and misery. The pain never let up, for your hand of conviction was heavy on my heart. My strength was sapped. My inner life dried up like a spiritual drought within my soul. That's what David said it felt like before he had repented of sin. And I'm sure that feels familiar, sounds familiar to many of us. Friends, when we don't repent of our sin before God, it will eventually eat us up inside and ultimately destroy us. I was in in business for many years before God called us into ministry. And this is going to show my age. Some of you in the room will appreciate what I'm about to share. But uh, in the early days of, of, of business travel, I, I've spent quite a bit of time traveling around the world, setting up distribution networks for a big chemical company. And this is in the days before those wheelie bags. You know those really nice wheelie bags with the nice slick handles and the four wheels that kind of move in, in any direction that you pull them. So easy to pull. When I started traveling, uh, I would go away sometimes for three weeks on, on end, traveling to different cities around the world, and I had to pack three weeks of clothes in a bag that I had to physically carry. My, that's, how, that's, that's the advances we've made in luggage technology. And it was exhausting, carrying this massive bag around the place and traveling to New York and, and then to Singapore, and it was, it was really exhausting. And then I got really excited once when I was in London because Samsonite had introduced this massive revolution in travel technology. 
they added wheels to the bottom of this kind of like big, heavy suitcase and had a leash like a dog. And so there I was around, traveling around the world, pulling along this massive kind of plastic Samsonite case wherever we went. And eventually came the wheelie bag. The wheelie bag where we, where we you know, we've, we've learned how to stuff uh, an, an inordinate amount of stuff into the small bag so we can stick it into the overhead baggage so we don't have to check, check things in. Now, most of the time when we travel, we travel with luggage. I don't know if you've ever had, it's happened to me once, if you've ever had that moment where you have the opportunity to travel without any bags. It it's kind of feels unnatural. It's so liberating. You don't have to worry about anything. The point I'm trying to make is I think sometimes we live carrying our sins and our guilt and our shame around with us, and we don't know what it's like to travel without baggage. Some of us have taken uh, uh, all of everything that we have done in the past, and uh, we carry it around like this big old-fashioned suitcase. Some of us, we've learned to deal with it a little better, and we kind of wheel it around like a dog wherever we go. It's so attached to us, we don't know what freedom is. And some of us, especially in our modern age, and I have nothing against self-help and those kinds of things, but some of us have become so proficient at coping through self-help mechanisms, we've neatly packed all of our guilt and shame into a little wheelie bag. And we think, we, and we think we're free because that wheelie bag is easy to pull around. But as I said, friends, coping is not the same as living free. And God doesn't want us just to cope. He wants us to be set free. Hebrews 12 says, let us throw everything, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Jesus promised freedom for the captives. Jesus came to set us free. And just for a moment, sometimes airlines are like heaven. The reason I say that is because very occasionally they'll lose our baggage. But let me tell you this. They always manage to find us and that baggage comes back. Sometimes that's the reality with our sin and guilt and shame. Just for a moment, we feel like we might be free from it. And it always comes back to find us unless we do what the Bible says. And we take that baggage and we check it in with Jesus. And Jesus takes that and he casts it as far as the east is from the west. Are you weary? Are you carrying a heavy burden? Matthew 11 says, Jesus says, come to me. Leave all your cares and anxieties at the feet of the Lord, Psalm 55 says. And measureless grace will strengthen you. Let me read that again. Leave all your cares and anxieties at the feet of the Lord and measureless grace, grace that cannot be measured, will strengthen you. That's why David writes in verse 7, 8, and 9, cleanse me, purify me, and hide your face, not from me, but from my sins. We appeal to God in his mercy. We confess our sin. We ask for forgiveness, and then finally, the result. Verse 10, look at verse 10. The result is a pure heart, a pure heart, and a persevering spirit. 
a spirit that says, no, I will not be held back from my past. A persevering spirit that says, I will not settle for anything less than what Jesus paid for on the cross. What is the result of repentance? Look at verse 11, the presence of the Lord. And look at verse 12. We begin to enjoy the pleasure of our salvation. And sometimes, friends, we think that God has to sideline us because of our sin. Well, this psalm tells us otherwise. This psalm says in verse 13 that we will be a testimony to others because we are the living display of God's grace and forgiveness. Verse 13, then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Throughout the psalm, throughout this psalm in particular, David is looking forward to the cross of Jesus Christ. He's speaking prophetically of a time that will come when the Son of God will be given as the ultimate sacrifice, will be, will be killed on the altar of the world, the cross, to pay for the forgiveness of sins for everyone who will put their faith in him. The good news is that we're not looking forward to that moment. We're looking back on that moment that has happened as a reality in history. David says, I hope it'll come. We say it has come. It is finished. The price has been paid. It is finished means it has been done. Everything has been paid for. There is nothing that we add to that sacrifice that Jesus has made. So what do we bring? Verse 17. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Heart, God, you will not despise. Friends, don't try and add anything to the, to the forgiveness of sins that God has provided for you. Don't try and add anything to, don't try and earn, don't try and buy that forgiveness of sins. God has made it available through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. I'm going to ask if we can close our eyes for a moment. And I want to just kind of walk us through just for maybe two or three minutes, an opportunity to just to do, do some business with the Lord. To trust that God, by the Holy Spirit, perhaps might reveal some things that you are carrying, some baggage from your past, some, some guilt, perhaps shame, regret, brokenheartedness that you carry that has somehow seeped its way into your present. And I trust that today, by the power of the Holy Spirit, not by anything that we do, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, God would, would come and, and cut that off in Jesus' name. Let's take a moment, if we can, just to look to the Lord. Right where you're seated, maybe just to pray quietly, Father, thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. For the gift of your Son, Jesus. You're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Could I suggest, could I encourage you? Today is the day of salvation. Don't leave this place without confessing your sins to Him and receiving the free gift that is Jesus as Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches that when we believe in our hearts, 
that Jesus has died on the cross and confess with our mouths that he is Lord, it teaches, the Bible teaches that we become children of God, saved, set free, liberated in relationship with God the Father. That's you today. If, if you do not know Jesus, friends, right where you're seated, open your hearts to him. Receive the gift that is Jesus into your hearts. Invite him to come in as your Lord and as your Savior. Holy Spirit, would you move on our hearts this morning? We don't want to go hunting after anything. We don't want to go chasing after anything other than your presence. And Lord, as we, as we just submit our hearts and surrender our hearts to you, Holy Spirit, would you just bring to light right now anything that we need to confess, anything that we need to repent of, Lord. I thank you that there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. Thank you that, Lord, you are not bringing this up in order to condemn us. You're not bringing this up in order to shame us. You're, you are bringing this up in order to free us. I thank you that there is freedom in this place. There is freedom in this place. Holy Spirit, would you come and do that now? Just take a moment just to receive from the Lord. If the Lord brings anything up, if there's anything that, 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 that you know that you are carrying from your past, just right where you are seated, just confess that to the Lord. Lord, I repent of that in Jesus' name. I repent of that in Jesus' name. Lord, that was a sin against you. And then ask for his forgiveness. Jesus, would you forgive me? Would you forgive me and would you set me free? In Jesus' name. One, two. Uh, last night I had a, a picture which I shared um, with the city celebration about a sunflower that was heavy with seed. And I, I feel that for restoration, um, that there is so much potential, so, so much um, of God's gifting, of his purpose, of his future for you. Um, and I, I had another picture, which is just a really small picture, but I trust will speak to you, is that I, I had a picture of a big key unlocking um, a door, but behind that door um, were many, 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 many doors. It, actually, there wasn't an end. And as that one key unlocked, so the other locks. It was like a chain reaction. They just, and you could hear the noise, like this unlocking of every door after that. And I really feel that this morning what Steve has shared is that big key where as we take this gift of repentance, because we've got a life to live, we are always going to be messing up because we're people, and God knew that. And so he gave this gift of repentance to us. And as we receive that gift and as we respond in faith, so we unlock that door. And all the other doors um, unlock after that. So I just wanted to encourage you with that picture that... You know, we, we have got this gift from God. He's got so much for us. But unless we accept this gift of repentance, we're not going to walk into everything that he has for us. Those doors are not going to unlock. But as we accept it, as we recognize that it's a gift, um, then we will walk into all that he has for us. Yeah, let's just thank the Lord for that right now. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the gift of repentance. Thank you, Lord, that you have, you have made the way. You have paid the price. You've given us, you've given us that key, that beautiful gift to, to unwrap. 
through this gift, Lord, we get to we get to see, we get to experience the reality of your grace and your forgiveness, your love and your mercy. And thank you, Lord, that the, the truth of, 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 of your word says every morning, no matter what kind of day we had yesterday, every morning we wake up and we can declare your grace is new every morning. Your faithfulness is great. Your love endures forever. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. There is nothing you want us to bring other than a broken and contrite heart. A heart that says, Jesus, we want all of you. Oh, Lord God, we pray for revival in our city. We pray for revival in this church. We pray for revival in our hearts. But Lord, may we never be charging after those things without doing the business that you want to do within us. Thank you, Jesus, that through your death and through your resurrection, we, we can be tucked in close to the Father's heart. And just, Lord, as we, as we transition into this worship song, I, before we do that, Lord, I, I just want to pray, Holy Spirit, for an outpouring of the Father's love upon us. That every one of us here today would know how much you love us. The extent of your love, the extent to which you went in order to call us home. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's stand together and let's, let's worship Jesus for all that he has done for us.